This is Brand and New from the International Trademark Association. This podcast series explores changes and dynamics in the legal world, now and tomorrow, with a focus on intellectual property. I am Oredove, welcome to Brand and New. Companies that affirmatively try to diversify leadership positions in legal departments appear to be doing well, no pun intended. But what does diversity bring to the intellectual property industry and practice? And what does it mean to champion minority empowerment in the IP world? This episode is part of the Women's Empowerment in IP. Our guest today, Mirta Hurtado Rivas, is the global head of trademarks and domain names at the pharmaceutical group Novartis International AG, which she joined over 14 years ago. Mirta leads and drives the group's brand protection strategy across all operational divisions. And before that, she worked for the Swiss Federal Institute of Intellectual Property in Bern, Switzerland, from 2001 to 2006. In addition, she has been chairing INTA's Anti-Counterfeiting Committee since January of this year. Mirta talks openly about gender equality in the legal profession today, discusses some of the lessons she has learned in her own personal path to the top of the group's IP legal department, and future opportunities for the IP profession in terms of maintaining the momentum for change for women and other minorities. So thank you very much, Mirta, for joining us today. Very welcome. It's my pleasure. Why is it important for you to talk about woman empowerment in intellectual property? I think, first of all, it's not only important to talk about empowerment of women in IP, but about their empowerment in general. The challenges we face today in society or in IP are highly complex and require input from all, excluding people, um, in this case women, that amount for 50% of the population, really just makes um, things more difficult and, w- and simply doesn't allow us to find the right options and solutions. So when we look into IP, I think um, the same is, is really valid there. We are in a phase where a trade is changing rapidly, where technology is making huge steps forward, but also come with certain risks. And I think that the more diverse the teams are that look into solutions, the more diverse teams are that assess the challenges we're facing, actually, the better the solutions will be. And hence, from that perspective, I really think it's really important to include women. Now, why is it important to empower them? It's really to make sure that the next generation of uh, attorneys, leaders, managers, just simply associates that will come after us uh, will not even think anymore about the difference between female and male or between other differences uh, related to gender, religion or sex, but just simply will find it normal to have everyone Mm -hmm. sitting around the table and everyone participating. So I really think it's important to create also the next rank of leaders that will, for which this will be just natural. Mm -hmm. And do you believe uh, there is such a thing as specific qualities women bring to the table in general. If I'm not mistaken, you fluently speak English, German, French, Spanish, and Italian, Mirta, (laughs) and you have an extensive experience in working in multicultural environments. Have you found that these linguistic and cultural skills have helped you professionally, whether to be considered and selected to top-level positions or maybe during negotiations or discussions with partners, with adverse parties, or even business teams within your group? Or do you, and do you have any example to share? 
Maybe just let's start uh, with your first question you raised, and that's about specific qualities women bring to the table. I think we cannot just um, dismiss the knowledge that there is special qualities, but I would also want to raise awareness about the fact that many of those qualities are not just naturally given, but that we are raised and are being formed by our environment. What I want to say is that very often we hear, yes, rather use a woman for a negotiation. They are softer in their approach. That would be less adversarial. And, and that might be the case. But just let's make clear, I know as many women that are as assertive, as decisive, and maybe as passionate about uh, having a good fight than men are. The current culture uh, in which we were brought up was kind of praising the qualities of women to be demure, um, to be humble, to be kind, to be understanding. So depending on how strong the environment and education had an impact on you, it will make you more the one thing or the other. Um, but obviously I have seen um, that there is sometimes um, differences and irrespective of, of, I would say, gender, one of the successful aspects or kind of principles we try to apply is to really utilize each person's strengths to the advantage of the specific case or situation that we are in. And that just means that you need to know uh, your associates very well. Mm -hmm. You raised also the question about, you know, language and um, cultural skills. My first, actually, education was much more in the international field. Uh, I went to the Diplomatic Academy of Vienna um, because I wanted to become a diplomat. There I was, you know, strongly influenced by not, I wasn't really, uh, I would say, an exception there. Many of my colleagues spoke several languages and had lived um, in different cultural environments. And at the time when I switched to IP, my first feeling was like, oh, my God, I lost now several years in educating myself in <laughs> diplomacy and international law in women rights and children rights. And well, I need to start from scratch. And, and this was my belief for, for quite a number of years, I must say, until I started to have uh, positions that um, kind of triggered interaction with third parties with other IP offices, or when I started just simply to travel around the globe to just make sure that my internal clients would know about what they had to do to leverage their position with respect to IP. And once mm -hmm. I started doing that, all this education and all these language skills and the fact that I um, have been lucky enough to live in different cultural environments just paid off uh, very well, I must say, because if you understand where people come from in their mentality, what may be appropriate or may not be so in negotiations that are already complex and are already tense, what you do by having an insight is just, just avoid creating additional complexity and adding additional problems to maybe an already difficult situation. and. Um, just on a human level, the connections I've built internally with many of my business clients over the years, be it when I was at the Swiss um, office or be it now with Novartis, it really shows that this is a very strong connector. It just enables you to speak in their mother tongue or at least to say a few sentences in their language um, and, you know, and show that you are keen and learning about their culture, understanding what mm -hmm. their issues are, how they work. So I think it's a very strong and valuable tool to have if, if you can have it. Now, is this a decisive element to get to the top? I think you can, if you don't have the language skills, I think you can certainly balance out by just having working on your emotional intelligence. 
um, about you know being self-aware and 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 getting to know more about other cultures. What brought you to intellectual property actually? When I was looking for a job after having decided that diplomacy and working at, in organizations like the UN or similar was just not appropriate for me because it, it was a lot of politics involved and the time to achieve um, visible goals was, was very long. So I'm, I'm a person who was driven by, by seeing a, a, an impact of what I do and that was a bit more difficult in, in that area. So I decided to, to let diplomacy go and, um, and really needed just a job. My language skills came very handy at that moment because uh, when in 2001 I was looking for a job just after a couple of weeks of having decided to not uh, further pursue my career in diplomacy I met a friend on a train and I said uh, to him, oh, you know, I'm looking for a job now. And they say, oh, at the Swiss IP office, they're looking for, for, for lawyers. And in particular, if you speak the three national languages, um, it should be so easy for you. That's how things happened. And I must say, it, uh, it was a very lucky coincidence. I very quickly fell in love with uh, trademarks, the things that just, just brought with it. From a more entrepreneurial training and support to women working in particular in the tech field to development of learning programs uh, focused on how to build relevant networks with decision makers and investors, but also encourage women to take leadership roles and understand the process of commercializing a creation or an invention, how to make actual progress and change the system. Is there any initiative that you have seen or maybe you have benefited from? That's an interesting question, Audrey. And, and maybe let me just go back to what I mentioned. So I, I started my career with, at the Swiss IP office and was uh, very early on when I started allowed to get to learn about my strengths and my weaknesses. And this was being done by an assessment. And I think this was really helpful because when I look back as to what I was convinced I was myself, um, at that time, I was really convinced I was kind of an individual contributor, that I was good at redacting, you know, writing things, analyzing, researching. And to then looking at the results of an assessment where it became rather clear that I could very well kind of explore my talent in the area of um, management. That was kind of an eye opener for me. And I think whatever we can do to help people realize where the strengths lay, where their qualities are, and maybe also what their weaknesses are, what they can do to work on those, um, to leverage them to become strengths. I think that's a first step to me that is really important that we try to foster. And it doesn't need always to be you know, a five-day long assessment. Uh, we have mm -hmm. a lot of online tools at the moment that already kind of allow us to do that without spending a lot of money. But I think it's really important to work on uh, one's um, self-awareness, getting to know yourself and what drives you, because that kind of will show you what the trigger points are going to be. I didn't go to a lot of specific programs nor was I kind of um, specially enabled because I was a woman. But I think mm -hmm. I was in a situation where throughout at least my career at Novartis, I was supported by different people. And early on when I started working in the industry, I was strongly supported by my own team. Um, that was a very strong driver. Further later on, found very good um, sparing partners in my peers and my managers. I think the most relevant um, support that, that was um, given by Novartis to me was the opportunity to continue my willingness to educate myself. So throughout the years I worked in this company, uh, very, very often I had you know, access to leadership courses, uh, be it in the managerial um, area, but also in the finance and the business area. So for me, when I look back, I see a whole lot of small milestones of education 
that allowed me to stay curious and to believe that I could learn more and that I hadn't yet kind of achieved the level where I could stop learning. Novartis has an executive female leadership program, which I was lucky enough to attend as well. And I believe that that's also crucial. It's also crucial to openly state within a working environment that you are having an eye on women, that you want really to leverage women to get to the next level, that you are kind of looking for a diverse team. Um, that being said, now that we are talking about diversity in a broader sense, I think those programs have transformed themselves into diversity-based programs over, overall and not only based on the gender differences. But I would say it's a kind of a mixture about getting to know yourself, what motivates you and what will trigger for you to deploy, you know, the passion and the willingness to do more. Then there is this kind of informal network of support that you need to build. And sometimes it happens naturally. And when it doesn't happen naturally, I think we as women in particular need to learn how to build it ourselves and to ask for help. Mirta, we hear that there are more opportunities for female leaders in IP. What are the challenges you had to navigate throughout your career to work your way up to the top? Um, I believe there's opportunities for female leaders in general in the legal industry and in business. And I think it's a, it's a really a good time to think about it and to embrace the opportunities and not to shy away from them. Now, if you ask me what, what type of challenges I had to navigate through, I think I would be lying if I would say that, um, you know, my development in work was was smooth and, and that I always had the right support and, and, and that it was easy. I would say it's it's sometimes difficult to distinguish what is related to gender and what is related to your background. And in my case, often those two things came together and were a bit blurred. So in addition to the fact of being a woman, um, I'm also an immigrant. That comes with a whole lot of implications as well with respect to your own identity, how well you speak specific languages, how you behave. And some of the characteristics I showed early on in my career as my passion for certain things, the fact that um, you can read in my face what I think, <laughs> and mm -hmm. um, which sometimes is, is probably good and sometimes maybe it isn't. I think I was faced with um, with feedback that probably in many cases, if a man would have displayed them, it would just have been looked at as, um, oh, this person is result-driven or passionate about his role as manager. Whereas as a woman, it was a bit dismissed, oh, she's a Latina, that's why she's <laughs> passionate, or, oh, it's a bit hysterical, you know, you should learn to speak differently. And I think, you know, there is always a truth to that, right? And, and, and with time, you learn how to adapt, how you speak to different audiences, how you speak up when you speak to management, how you speak mm -hmm. to your peers and team members. But at the end of the day, I think um, throughout my career, I faced just biases, right? People are biased because they see your name and translate that into behavior and make a link between that and, and what you're saying. And also between your gender and what you're saying. So I think... Um, throughout my career, there was a lot of biases. And when I joined Sandoz, that was my first job in the industry, I was the only woman in the leadership team out of 10. It was very tough, not only because mm -hmm. it was my first job in the industry and, and, and this learning curve was tremendously steep. I had literally uh, very little knowledge about 
pharmaceuticals except the medicines I had to take <laughs> myself. And, and this was a truly new world for me. But it was also new to once of a sudden be in a management position where I was sitting and there were only men around me. It was the first time in my career that I had to face that. And on top of that, I was a trademark person. Uh, the trademark person is just a person that it's somehow in the minds of many business clients, the person that is responsible for the name of a product, and that's pretty much it. Uh, it was kind of a battle for for making myself heard, for creating a space for me and for my knowledge and my expertise, for representing my team and the added value that we can bring to the table. And at the same time, you know, it is also kind of a battle against yourself because we have this tendency then to try to behave more manly or to be more assertive, to kind of fit in more nicely. And that actually costs you a lot of energy because it's not necessarily mm -hmm. who you are. And it's mm -hmm. you have to play a role. And the more you play a role, the more cumbersome it becomes and tiresome. I must say uh, I was lucky enough that I got um, support and that I was also told that it was okay to be myself. I mentor a lot of women and I have mentored some throughout the last 10 years in my career. I must say that unfortunately, the situation where as it has improved considerably, we can still see that some of the challenges I faced are still being faced by the younger generations that are making their ways up. And mm -hmm. I think it really makes it, at least for me, very clear that we need to embrace change, that the change um, starts with us. So each and all, uh, all of us need to point out when we see that there is bias, when we see that there is, you know, unfair or uh, treatment, which is not um, equal for all types of people. So I think um, we're not yet there. INTA is a global association representing more than 30,000 brand owners and professionals dedicated to supporting trademarks and related intellectual property to foster consumer trust, economic growth, and innovation. You've been working as in-house counsel in the pharma industry for almost 14 years. Do you think, Mirta, companies in the pharma and healthcare sector have a distinct way to build, implement, and defend their brands? Thinking about consumer trust, transparency, regulatory requirements, in a social media-dominated and artificial intelligence-powered world, do you think you've become more sensitive to certain aspects related to brands and trademark protection than IP lawyers working in other industries? And in other words, does the pharma sector produce specific types of IP lawyers? <laughs> it's an interesting question. I'm not so sure if the pharma the industry produces a specific type of lawyer or if this <laughs> type of lawyer is really different because I would like to believe at least that there is other industries where the consumer is also at the heart of what you know the business wants to achieve. And I think there is many industries where, if not health, the safety of consumers is certainly a crucial part of what people want to achieve. Now, that being said, it's kind of natural that lawyers that work in the pharmaceutical industry, at least most of the ones I know, are really driven by a passion to help patients and by a passion to make medicines accessible to more patients around the globe. You are always confronted not only with the product, but you at the same time always identify with the fact that behind the product there is a patient. We certainly develop and have in our minds at, at any point the patient, and with the patient, obviously, caregivers and, and doctors. Now, is there a difference uh, as to the way we look at brands? Definitely so. 
in the trademarks department uh, where we could say probably we could just ensure that um, trademarks are created, filed and registered and then launched. That could be maybe the simplistic way to, to look at it. But I must say that when we have to surpass all the regulatory challenges that the names actually will face, that the trade dress will face of a product that colors represent in the pharmaceutical industry and what they mean to patients and doctors. So we are all the time actually confronted with a regulatory environment and with patient safety as one of the drivers to do the right thing in our area. And I think that obviously is always kind of a, a double hat that you have to wear when you do things. And that will always be something that will keep in mind and that um, probably is a bit different than in other areas of trade. So, so I think um, it does actually change a little bit as to how we look at this and how we interact with patients, which is especially in Europe, not always di directly because we don't have advertising and so on. So even there, there is a kind of different type of how to present our products and how to interact with doctors and patients. You have been sharing the INTS Anti-Counterfeiting Committee since January of this year. As part of its core missions, uh, the ACC evaluates international treaties, national laws, regulations, procedures, and other enforcement mechanisms with respect to anti-counterfeiting and enforcement And it responds by advocating policies to advance protection against counterfeiting and infringement, and more generally by launching initiatives to raise awareness around anti-counterfeiting and IP enforcement. Mirta, is there any specific focus or issue you would like to address during your term? My list is very long. <laughs> so I, I am, first of all, I would like to say that I'm truly passionate about this topic. And not only um, when it comes to pharmaceuticals, where I think that obviously the impact on patients is tremendous if they're not taking a medicine that has has in it what it says it has in it, but it has been manipulated, is, is falsified or is counterfeited. So, uh, but even in general, this is a, a topic that I'm very passionate about, not only because of the direct impact on consumers, but also because of its big impact on society overall, um, you know, going from criminal organizations, uh, tax evasion, and all the things that come with it. And I, I don't want to raise all of it now, together with the rest of the leadership team, because uh, I, I don't work on this alone. But there's Claudette Renault, who is the, the vice chair of the Anti-Counterfeiting Committee, and Mesa Razavi and Tiffany Poe, who are our inter-staff liaison. So together, um, for sure, we want to certainly continue to focus on raising awareness. This is something we are thriving through um, the regional subcommittees. But then also, we really want to review a little bit as to what type of standings we have had in the past. And if those still are valid today, or if we look at the latest changes in this area, in particular with respect to, you know, the digital uh, progress and technological progress that we are seeing, uh, if there is not something else that we should look into now, one major cornerstone of what we will try to achieve is to continue to leverage collaboration with the different stakeholders. And we have created actually a new task force within our um, committee, which is related to customs, because we really want to leverage that um, existing relationship. So, so that being said, if, if you would ask me to choose one word, it would really be collaboration. Now, Miata, I have a few rapid fire questions for you. 
May I ask you to name a word that would summarize the last decade and the one you expect for the decade that is just beginning? So it would be awareness for the past decade. I think we have become aware of many things happening. Um, you know, the Me Too movement with respect to women, for instance. But uh, when we think about, uh, you know, just uh, global warming and our environment, people becoming more aware of what's happening around us. Um, and because it had obviously had something to do with the amount of data that is, uh, you know, within uh, our reach um, during the last decade, I think that changed um, tremendously how we live and how we behave. And for the future, for the next decade, the one we are just starting, To me, it's a kind of industrial revolution that we are facing, in particular with respect to artificial intelligence. And I think that's what's going to keep us busy, be it uh, as a society, but also as IP lawyers. Who are your role models? My role models have been really my parents. Both of them um, have, you know, fought their fights in a very honest and authentic way. I think they, they really had to face uh, a whole lot of challenges as foreigners, as uh, coming from a third world country at the time. And particularly for my mother, she was a strong believer in independence. And uh, she really kind of, I remember from, very, uh, from a very early age on, she was always telling me, Uh, you must be independent. Whatever you choose, whatever you do, you must always be able to be independent, not to rely on anyone but yourself and your capabilities. And this is something that has um, that I have um, really taken to heart and that, uh, be it my sister and myself, because we are two, uh, I think we have um, tried to achieve uh, in our own way. What advice would you give today to younger generations of women who aim for leadership positions in the legal industry or maybe beyond? The advice would be get to know yourself very well, embrace your weaknesses, but be proud of your strengths and build on those. Ask for help. Um, I cannot repeat this loud or often enough. I learned very late that actually it is okay to ask for help and that actually people most of the times, like 99% of the time, will be actually very happy to help. Don't try to reinvent everything yourself. Don't try to achieve everything on your own, uh, be it other women, be it whoever it is that you have around you. Build kind of a close network, and that doesn't need to be only in your working environment. Just try to find support, Um, not only for tough times, but also for the good times. So also people that have fun for you and enjoy the same things mm -hmm. as you, because that is going to be really, really helpful throughout your entire career whilst you try to go up the stairs or if you try to develop as an individual contributor above. Um, and I would say also define where success is for yourself. Don't let yourself be guided by what um, others define for you as success. The last book you read? Um, it's called American Dirt. Um, the author is Janine Cummins. It's a book that has been highly debated, and I let figure out the listeners why. Um, I can recommend it, but uh, it is uh, controversial. But I think uh, my viewpoint without telling too much about the book is that you do need to have gone through certain situations to be able to speak about them. And I think also that anything that um, makes a challenge or difficult situation or a problem being more visible and raise awareness it's, it's still a good thing independently if you're part of that kind of category of person or 
population going through um, through an ordeal. I think uh, if others out of that category can help to shed some light and to raise awareness. Thank you very much, Mieta. You're very, very welcome, Audrey. Thank you. My guest today was Mieta Hurtado-Rivas, the Global Head of Trademarks and Domain Names at Novartis International, AGI. Thank you for listening to Brand and New, brought to you by the International Trademark Association. Be sure to tune in every two weeks on Tuesday for new episodes. If you like today's podcast, please subscribe and share it. We are always looking for new people to discover Brand and New. And to learn more about INTA, its resources and events, please visit www.inta.org.